0: are listening to the Riverside Community Church podcast for more information please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org hello everyone up at the mills it's good to be with you this morning as we continue this sermon series called the line between good and evil we we talked last week about how that struggle is something that every one of us faces to quote alexander solzhenitsyn that line between good and evil runs right down between every human being right down through every human being and like adam and eve every one of us has heard the voice of the serpent tempting us and pulling us to our shadow side that we all have because god has a plan god has a path for us and we know that that path is the way that we should go but the fact of the matter is we stray from that path and jesus came and he showed us the path Jesus is the path. Jesus helps make a way for us to get back on the path when we stray from that path. He is the way to do that. And he gives us his mercy and grace and invites us to return to the path without fear and condemnation. And also he invites us to join with him in that epic battle to push back the darkness, not only in our own lives, but in the world around us. So today... We're going to talk about the one that pulls us from the path, and uh, we want to size up our enemy. Who is the devil, is the question we're going to ask today. Is, is the devil real, or is the devil a figment of our imagination? Is it just the personification, the face that we put on, that struggle that we all have inside of us? Or is there a real de- entity outside of ourselves that is a force against us? Um, so what are his schemes? What are the ways that he uses to pull us off the path? And frankly, how can we defeat it? How can we stand against it? So in your Bibles, we're looking at Ephesians chapter six today, beginning at verse 10. If you've been around, maybe raising the church, you've heard this passage before, but we want to take another look at it today and some other passages that deal with this. So Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 and, uh, you know what, why don't we stand together? Let's stand up at the mill, stand here as I read this. Maybe it would be better if we all read it. How about if we try that, okay? Let's just read it together out loud and, uh, and, and let the Lord speak to us through his word. Finally, let's read it together. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. with all prayer and supplication. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it seems pretty clear from this passage that, number one, we are in a battle. We are in a battle. We need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on this armor of God that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. The Apostle Paul, if you understand this, is writing from a prison cell Uh, This is one of the prison epistles. He has been imprisoned for proclaiming that Jesus is Lord in an empire where Caesar was Lord. So it sounds treasonous to speak about somebody else who's more powerful whenever the Caesar, whoever is in control, the Caesar of the day, claims to have all the power and claims to be the Savior of the world. So uh, that's not a very safe thing to do. And that's what Paul was doing. Therefore, he was arrested and put in prison awaiting trial. And writing uh, to these uh, churches during that time, the church in Ephesus being one of them. And he is guarded, obviously, probably by some sort of Roman soldier, centurion, who generally would be wearing this armor as part of his uniform. And so he takes this imagery and he applies it to our spiritual need to have armor against the battle that we face spiritually. So... This this line this this line between good and evil that runs right through each of us is that place where light and darkness meet. Uh, it is it is where the darkness strives to snuff out the light, but as using John's imagery, uh, the light overcomes, and that's the good news. We we want you to know that in the end, it is good news. The light always wins out over the darkness. But the fact of the matter, as we see in this passage, is we face a foe. And it calls us. it says here that it's the devil. Uh, the diabolos is the, is the Greek word. Uh, the slanderer is, is what that means. Peter describes them, the, the devil as, uh, in 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I want to size up the devil, if you don't mind. Can we do that? Let's just size up the enemy. I think that's a good strategy, don't you? If you're going to face an enemy, let's size up the enemy. What does the Bible really say about the devil? And I, I think you'll find this a little... I hope you'll find it interesting. When you look in the Old Testament about passages about the devil, surprisingly, you will find very few. You will find very few. In the Hebrew Bible... The word Satan is, uh, is Hasatan, the Satan. It's never used as a personal name. It's always used as a title or a function. And there's only a few passages in the scripture where Hasatan is mentioned. And uh, one is in 1 Chronicles 21 where it says that the Satan rose up against Israel and inclined David to take a census of Israel. You remember when... In that story in the old testament god didn 't want David to become proud, the people of Israel to become proud, and so, in order to uh, instigate their pride and eventually downfall, he incited David to count the people to, to, to show and so so we see has Satan, the adversary that 's what it means in the Old Testament, the accuser as as this one that that, that rises up to cause David to do something that God wouldn't want him to do, to cause him to stray from the path that God had for him. It's interesting, however, in Psalm 109, verse 6, there's a verse there that God is, is, or David is asking God to send Hasatan to oppose his enemy. Interesting. David is saying, can you send the adversary? Can you send somebody? Can you send... Uh, somebody evil to thwart my enemy because my enemy has been thwarting me. And so he calls on God to send this evil someone to thwart the enemy. So the, the, the passage that, uh, in Zechariah, there's another passage where Zechariah sees a vision of Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and, and Hasatan standing at his side to accuse him. And the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. So whatever this being, this hasatan, the accuser standing before the throne of God, accusing Joshua the high priest, the Lord says, I rebuke you, Satan. But the passage that we're probably most familiar with where we see Satan in the Old Testament is is what most scholars would say is the earliest writing, the earliest document of the Old Testament is the book of Job. Now we understand the story of Genesis is the story of the very beginning but it's probably was written following later on in the writings of scripture but so we see in the story of job this epic uh test that job is put to and and in that story we see satan among the angels presenting themselves before the lord and the lord says to house to the satan where have you come from and satan answers him well it said he says that um, from roaming through the earth And going back and forth in it and if you know the story there in those first two chapters of Job the following chapters from three onward are an epic poem about this you know why do why does a good person suffer bad things but he doesn't know the beginning of the story was this test that he was undergoing in the heavens between this this angel that comes or this fallen angel hasatan the accuser saying but have you considered Job? The only reason he worships you is because you bless him. So if you take away the blessings, he's going to curse you. So the test is, will Job curse God or will he not curse God? And, um, and, and so you see that. How can we make sense of bad things happening to good people? And, and the thing is there that we don't know why. In our, And from our plane, Job knew, did not know why he was going through all of that. And was he going to believe that God was still good in spite of all the bad that was happening to him? Now there are a few other passages that we get a lot of our understanding of what Satan is in the Bible that really don't apply to, that really don't refer to Satan. One is in Isaiah chapter 14 where we see the word Lucifer being used. You've heard Lucifer being used for Satan. Lucifer means a morning star. if you look at isaiah chapter 14 and you read that that passage is really about the king of babylon and he's using imagery there to describe in a sarcastic way the king of babylon's fall from his pride and and his you know thinking that he is king of the world and he's going to fall into the pit he's going to uh, fall greatly so it's about really it applies to that and there's another passage in, in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 it doesn't use the word Lucifer but the same kind of imagery is used to uh, to, to pronounce a, a curse or, or a judgment upon the king of Tyre for his pride and his, his fall that will happen. The other passage we talked about last week is the passage in, in Genesis where the serpent appears to Adam and Eve the word Satan isn't used there. The serpent obviously was a tool of Satan, but it doesn't necessarily say it is Satan, but it does the work of pulling them from the path. But in the end, it's just another snake that's slithering on the ground. It was one of the animals in the garden that comes and appears to them and is used to them. What am I trying to say? The point here is that the Jewish faith doesn't put much faith in a literal devil. If you talk to your Jewish friends, most of them do not believe in a literal devil. They will say that Satan is really a metaphor for the evil inclination that exists inside of every person and tempts us to do wrong. But the line, you know, the time between the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, we see this, 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 this much more expansive view of the Satan and the devil and all the spiritual forces in the New Testament use of the term Satan, the devil, demons, is far greater than in the Old Testament. Some say that because of the uh, captivity in Persia, the Persians had a much more evolved view of the evil forces and that they've, they've sort of took that and saw the scriptures and, and, uh, and then God in the revelation of that and then Jesus kind of saying, yeah, this is what he used that language to describe the battle. So we see a whole lot more of that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see so many different terms. We see Satan as the devil, the accuser, the tempter, the evil one, Beelzebub, which literally means the lord of the flies, Belial, a murderer from the beginning, the father of lies, the prince of this world, the god of this age, the ruler of the kingdom of air, of the air, the angel of the abyss, the ancient serpent. Some of the activities that we see in the New Testament, we see Jesus being tempted by Satan when he goes into the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. Then we see Jesus having authority over Satan, over the demons and demonic forces. We see Jesus giving his followers authority over demons. We see Jesus at one point when Peter was saying to Jesus, you don't need to go there to Jerusalem and die. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan because you were a stumbling block to the plan of God, pulling Jesus from the path that God had for him. Paul said that the thorn in his flesh was a messenger of Satan to torment him. John sees Satan as the one who leads the whole world astray in the book of Revelation and who's ultimately going to be bound for a millennium and then destroyed forever. So we see so much and there's a lot more in the New Testament that that I can't don't have time to go into. But the question I have is so what is the nature of our foe? What is the nature? Who is the devil? Who is the devil? Yes, somebody who the devil is and you'll get a different answer from everybody you talk to. I think all of us would agree that the devil's not this little cartoon character, you know, this little red being with a fork you know tail and horns and and we know that that's that's necessarily not what the devil is this cartoon character but but i want to say also that the devil does not have divine attributes a lot of people think that the devil is god's equal that there are two opposing forces that are equal and they're battling it out i don't see that the, the devil would be sovereign only god is sovereign and in, in our theology, if God is sovereign and created all things, then you have to ask the question, well, who created the devil? Then you ask that question, you say, well, that heads you down a long line of thinking. We could sit here and talk forever in, in about the theology of where did evil come from. But the fact of the matter is, we, we understand that, um, that the devil doesn't have, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-present. The devil doesn't have that all-power, that uh, that god has if we understand those divine attributes of god now there are some christians like jewish folks who hold to the view that the devil simply is the personification it's the face for evil you've got to put a face on evil so let's call it the devil let's just put everything under that understanding and use that terminology because it's easier for us in our imaginations to see it as that and a lot of christians view Satan as that personification of evil inside of us and the forces of evil in the world around us. And then there are some Christians who see the devil behind every, every bad thing that happens to them. You know, oh man, I didn't get a spot near the front of the store. Oh, the devil doesn't want me to get a good spot today. You know, every cold, every sniffle, every sneeze, every problem they face... They give the devil credit for every little bad thing and even and especially the big things that happen to them. Um, so I think there are those kinds of ideas of, well, who is the devil? And in Revelation chapter 12, um, using coded apocalyptic language, and that's important that we understand that, speaking of evil's final defeat, it says that, war broke out in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back but he was not strong enough they lost their place in heaven and the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him and that's talking about the future demise of, of all of evil in the world and again this is language that was coded language for the empire not to understand that it may have been talking about Caesar and Rome and the power of Rome but but you know we get this imagery of the devil and this from those kinds of passages so what are demons are they fallen angels are they disembodied spirits that infect and influence the material world is there a material world and a spiritual world should we be afraid of evil spirits that are floating around in the air somewhere? When we were in Indonesia years ago visiting Bali, they were very superstitious. And so, you know, believing that spirits are everywhere, they had to give offerings in the morning to appease, you know, the the evil spirits and, and to uh, to to please the good spirits because they're all out there. When they would travel down the road, they would... It didn't matter if it was 90 degrees and humidity was 90 percent. You traveled with the windows up because the spirits could fly in the windows and get you. And so they, you know, you have this idea that there are these, these disembodied spirits that are just floating around waiting to possess people. Are these just simply ancient ways to describe the things that we don't understand? You know, what is, what is the devil? What are demons? Um, were were in the in the New Testament we see that people were possessed by demons. Were these just ways to describe mental illness that now we understand as maybe um, epilepsy or not or you know a physical disease or a mental disease, or is it just a way to use terminology to describe what we don't understand? Is the devil just a way to deflect blame whenever we do things ourselves, you know, like Flip Wilson, you know, and Geraldine, the devil made me do it from those of you that are old enough to remember that routine. Um, is, is the devil just a way to deflect blame for our own problems? Here it says in, in Ephesians our our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Which makes me think that there, there is something of the unseen world that we don't understand. That there is some sort of cosmic battle going on. There is maybe, and I, I, to be honest with you, I don't know the answers to that. Is the spiritual world up there somewhere where demons and angels are fighting out a cosmic battle and we down here are controlled by what we don't see? I, I, I think that might be a worldview that was popular during the time of writing the scriptures, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Are spiritual forces behind everything pulling the strings of this material world? Here's, here's the way I approach this, and I like the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which we can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So, as I said, some first century Christians as well as Jews perceived the Roman Empire to be the demonic forces, the demonic spirit that they called Satan and John described the dragon revelation as those forces that were oppressing them and persecuting them and talking about the the persecution that they were facing at that time under Nero and instead of calling Nero Nero which would have been too dangerous they use coded language and talk about him as the dragon that eventually will be defeated and the people will be set free that seems to be the primary application of the book of revelation when it was written but I do believe that, that that also speaks of all times and the forces of evil in all ages and in all generations that exists. Now, again, this is a fascinating study that we can talk about for a long time, but I, I think theologians like Walter Wink have done a lot to help us bridge the gap between the ancient and modern understandings of the powers that be. And let me just say this. Whatever the exact nature is of the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil are. Whatever their nature is, it is. It does exist. These forces are there and I don't believe any of us can deny that we are pulled, that we are tempted that there are forces in this world somehow, whether they are material forces uh, that infect people and beings and and institutions and societies, or whether they are these impersonal beings, the fact of the matter is they are there. It is a power that we must wrestle with. and, And the solution, whether they are one or the other, is the same. Whether they are personal spiritual beings or the spirit of impersonal political, cultural, economic entities... We need to understand that these are fallen forces that are at work to pull others down with them, and to pull us down with them, and we need to learn to stand against it. We need to learn how to stand against the influence that has in our lives, and the influence in the lives of others. And that's what I want to focus on for the next few minutes to wrap this up. We need to learn to discern between the spirits, and name the powers for what they are, and call on God to redeem people, and to redeem institutions, To their created and intended godly purpose. To get them back on the path that God has for them to do for good and not for evil. So what are we to do when we feel the poor, the influence of the evil one? Well, it says here simply we need to stand our ground. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Notice, it's not if the day of evil comes, it is when the day of evil comes. It will come. What is that day of evil? Well, for the first century Christians, I'm sure that they were looking at the persecution that they were going through as the day of evil for them. And these dominant political and, and even religious forces, authorities that were coming down on them, they 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 were feeling that this was the enemy trying to thwart God's plan for the kingdom advancing and in them and through them and for you and for you and me I don't think it's a whole lot different the day of evil comes in many forms for us it might be when you are treated unjustly when you're abused when somebody who has power over you abuses that power against you it may be when you are suffering for one reason or another it might be when you're tempted it may be when you are feeling oppressed and you can't, you can't seem to break free from some sort of forces bigger than you to be able to be the person that you are God intending you to be. And, and the day of evil is when you see this happening to others also, the injustices in the world around you. So, so let's talk about how do we stand against this, and that's where we get to the armor of God here. So when Paul wanted to describe how believers were to stand in the middle of this anti-Christ environment, he looked around him and he he saw the guards and he said that our struggle is not against them. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not against these soldiers. Our true enemy, he says, is not them. It's the forces behind them of evil that causes them to do the things that they do. So we don't fight with the weapons of this world. It's not we need to get bigger swords now than them. It's not we need to pick up bigger guns to be able to defeat them. He says we don't fight with the weapons of this world because they are not the true enemy. What, what's, what's the forces behind them, the, the mindset, the thinking, the ideology, whatever it is, that's the thing that we need to fight against. So, so rather than the kind of armor they're wearing, we need to put on an armor that's different, the armor of God, so that when it all comes down, when the day of evil comes to us, we're going to be able to stand our ground. And after you've done everything, to still be standing. So rather than the armor of these soldiers, he says, let the belt around your waist be truth. Let the breastplate protecting you be righteousness. Let your footing be secured by the gospel of peace. Let your life be shielded by faith. Keep your head by knowing what true salvation is. Let your weapon be the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the Word of God, the Spirit. These are what we use to be able to stand against the devil's schemes. And then he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Be alert and pray. Be alert and pray. Be aware. Understand that it's real. Understand though, that you may not know, you know, the full, you know, makeup of what this is. But it's a power that's real and we need to be aware of it. We need to name it for what it is and be able to stand against it. All these forces are scheming against you to take you off of the path, to take you away from what God wants you and to take others away from the path that God wants for them. So if we're going to pray and be alert, so we need to be alert and we need to pray. So you understand that. Alert and pray. Pray, be alert. Put up your spiritual antenna and notice that is this good or evil? Should it be something that I would pursue or should it be something that I should stand against? Is this something that is going to help me to stay on the path or is this something that's going to help cause me to stray from the path? Is that causing that person or maybe our society or a group of people to be the people that God wants them to be or is it forcing them, pulling them away from that? So what should we pray for? Let's pray for truth. Truthfulness. What should alert us when you see lies? We should be alert to the lies. Alert to the lies. Are you alert to the lies that are being fed you? Whether it be on the media, whether it be in movies, whether it be in your peers. Are you alert to the lies? And if you are alert to the lies, pray and seek truth instead of lies. Not only outside of you, but what about the lies you're telling inside of you? We should be alert to injustice. When, when people are treated unfairly, when power is abused over the weak, when people are, are, are mistreated, and pray for righteousness. Righteousness is basically right living. Living rightly, justice. We should be alert against hostility, warring between people. Racism, nationalism, prejudice, bigotry. We should be alert to that kind of stuff. And we should be praying for peace. Peace. Peace with God and peace between people on earth. We should pray for faith. What is faith? Faith is belief in God and belief in the better plan, the desired future that God has for you. Do you believe that God has a better future for you? That's faith. Do you believe in God, and God is good, and God is kind, and God is loving? If you believe in that, you have faith in that, and God wants it better than you, you, you pray for faith, not only for yourself, but for others. And you should be alert to those that, that, that throw out God, that believe that life is just, fa- that, that, that fatalism rules, that it is what it is, and we have no power, God is not care, that nihilism, that it's just all going to be destroyed in the end. Or the opposite of that is that the only thing that matters is heaven, so we're just going to go to heaven when we die as Christians, so it doesn't matter how we live here on earth now. Those ki- be alert to that kind of thinking and, and disbelief that God has a better future, not just when we go to heaven when we die, but even now for those who believe and act on their faith. So, so we need to act on our faith. We need to, we need to pray for salvation, salvation simply means rescue from the consequences of our sin and forgiveness for those who repent. So we need to be alert for condemnation, judgmentalism. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So if he came to save the world and not condemn it, who are we to think that we should be the ones condemning everybody? So, so be alert to that. Flee from that. Stand against that. In your own life, the pride and the judgmentalism and the self-righteousness of Christians is abhorrent to God. And it ought to be abhorrent to you. So be careful when you find yourself being out there and pointing out that. I think we need to be praying for the word of God to prevail, the spirit of God, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be alert to selfishness inside of us when we're all about my will being done instead of God's will being done. So what am I saying? Do I believe that there are demons that are causing every bad little thing that happens to me, every cold, every nuisance in my life, every argument I face, every sin I commit? Absolutely not. I take responsibility for my own sinful behavior. But can I also say that, yeah, there are forces out there that are making it easier for me to sin, that, that are pulling me away, that I don't have that shadow side in me, that, 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 you know, is drawn to the darkness and not to the light? Do I believe that there are forces? Yes, I believe that that, that happens. So what do we do? What do we do? We need to be alert and we need to pray. We need to be alert and we need to pray. I want to guide us in a time of prayer if you don't mind in closing this morning. And I want, I want us all to sort of get alone with God and that's scary to do. But I want you to know God is good. God wants to help you get back on the path. God isn't here to punish or condemn you, but God wants you to be safe, to stand against the devil's scheme. So up at the mills, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And here in Oakmont, I want you to do the same. And if you're driving down the road and listening on the podcast, keep your eyes open. But, but let's just let, let God speak to us. So I want us first to look inward and to say, okay, I want to raise that, that antenna." And I want to ask some questions. What are the weak spots in your armor? In your spiritual armor, where are the weak spots? Are you being truthful? What are the lies that you're telling? What are the lies? You need to be alert to those lies. And you need to pray, Jesus, help me to be a person of truth to be truthful with my own dealings and my own behavior. Righteousness. Are you living rightly? Are you living rightly? Who are you cheating? Who are you cheating? You need to be alert to that because that's, that's going to pull you away from the path. That's definitely one of those things that The devil, whether he's real or whether it's the forces of the world, it's a force in your life. You need to to be alert and you need to pray against that. Are you at peace with God? Have you found God to be the place where you can go and be totally honest without fear? Are you at peace with God? Saying, God, I, I don't want to be the ruler of my own life. I want to... I want to yield to you and do what you want. What about others? Are you at peace with others? Are there people in your life that you need to make peace with? Are you you shielded by faith? Are you a person of faith? Do you believe that if you follow the way of Jesus that God will have a better future for you than if you continue down a side road? Are you going to say, I want to follow Jesus' way because I believe Jesus' way is better? Or are you going to say, I think I know a better way? Are you a person of faith? And what about... What about salvation? Have you trusted Jesus for your forgiveness? Have you said, I, I believe that God is able to forgive me and Jesus is, is the proof of that. And I'm trusting Jesus and what he did for me. I, I, I want, I'm I forgiven. And do you have, do you forgive those who've hurt you? Do you believe God can forgive those who have hurt you? Can you believe God could forgive those who are different than you? Are you judgmental and condemning? And then finally, are you willing to pray and seek God's will even if it means giving up on things out of your love for Jesus and others? I want to seek God above all things by the word of God and the spirit of God in me. And I think we need to also look outward, not just inward, about what other things you need to be alert. What are the lies, the injustices, the faithlessness? Where's the hatred, the prejudices, the judgmentalism? Where's the selfishness that are influencing us through the media, through government, through education, through our economic systems? Do you see those things? Are you alert to those things? And are you willing to pray and move away from them. Can you take a stand today? John wrote in the first epistle of John, you dear children are from God and you have overcome because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The darkness is real. The battle is on. We have a foe, but we can stand against it. And I belong to Jesus, and I am about pushing back the darkness. Can you say that with me? I belong to Jesus, and I am pushing back the darkness. I belong to Jesus, and I am pushing back the darkness. Lord, I want to push back the darkness that's inside of me. And I want to push back the darkness that's around me. Help me to have discernment. Help me to have the courage to overcome. For your glory and even for my sake, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.